Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to the podcast. We all know that cannabis is a plant you can grow in your backyard. It's familiar, unlike the pharmaceuticals we're always being pitched, and that's one of the appealing things about cannabis as a medicine. But what if you could produce cannabinoids like CBD in the lab at scale without all the biomass, the stems and seeds that you don't need, as Cheech and Chong might say? This is the promise of biosynthesis, and it's coming to fruition right now. By 2022, we'll see products containing biosynthetic cannabinoids on store shelves, says Roy Lipsky, CEO of Creo. Roy is our guest for this episode, and he lays out all the market-changing, indeed life-changing advantages of being able to produce bioidentical cannabinoids at scale, which Creo is already doing. We explore the great potential of biosynthesis in this episode. Cannabis is booming, and Cannaboom is on it. Welcome to the Cannaboom Podcast, where we interview experts on the changing story of humans, health, and hemp. From San Diego, here's your host, Tom Stacy. Hey, it's Tom. Welcome back to the Cannaboom Podcast. Very excited to have Roy Lipsky, CEO of Creo, here today. Hey, Roy, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? Really good. I'm excited to have you on. We've been covering non-scientific topics we're going to delve into some science today, and Creo has pioneered a new trail with biosynthetics. What can you tell us about the mission and history of your company and where you are today? Sure. Uh, glad to. So, um, <laughs> as he pointed out, I'm, I'm a scientist by education. I study biochemistry, um, but I never really worked at the bench, so to speak. What, what really has uh, inspired me and, and driven me is <clears throat> the mission of taking good science and making it into uh, 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 into a business, bringing it into the real world. There is so much science that's being done out there in academia, in national research labs that could really benefit mankind, but never sees the light of day. And never sees a light today because the skill sets required to take an idea, take an invention out of the laboratory and make it a real-world product are very different to the skill sets required to invent it in the first place. And so it's really kind of connecting these two. So how did Creo come about? I, in, in about 2015, I became really fascinated with this area of science called biosynthesis. Uh, which is, in a nutshell, using microorganisms to ferment uh, 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 products that we need, typically complex organic molecules that are difficult to produce using conventional synthetic chemistry. Nature is good at making natural molecules. No surprise there. Uh, but this field has really moved in leaps and bounds. And, and um, <clears throat> where it stands today, I honestly believe this is part of the solution to a lot of the problems the planet's facing today. I call this the last great domestication. You know, we domesticated plants, we domesticated animals. We're now domesticating microorganisms in a way that will allow us to continue uh, feeding the world's population, continuing our progress and our lifestyle in a way that doesn't harm the planet. So this is, from a high picture, this is a century of biology. Last century was a century of physics. We're now in the century of biology. So coming back down to Earth, um, as I was becoming really fascinated by this new area of science, I also came across the cannabis uh, industry. This was back in 2015. And, you know, initially, to be honest, I was pretty skeptical. I thought, oh, yeah, all this medical cannabis stuff, it's just an excuse for people to get high, right? Um, but then I actually started delving, I started going to conferences, and I, I realized 
you know, here are people with genuine personal stories about how this plant has helped them from curing a rash to dealing with persistent pain, all these different ailments. Um, and then one day, you know, I had this kind of stroke of inspiration. Um, you know, what we're really interested in from a medical beneficial point of view, wellness point of view in the cannabis plant, what makes cannabis unique are these cannabinoids. It's a group of compounds that a few of them are found in other plants, but generally speaking, they are unique to the cannabis plant. And so a lot of the benefits that we are getting from cannabis can be attributed to these um, to these compounds. So is there a better way to access these compounds? And that's when I kind of hit on the biosynthesis approach. Um, and I'll come back into what I think the benefits are. But um, just continuing the story, I then teamed up with Professor Ramon Gonzalez at Rice University, who's a world expert at bioengineering. Uh, we formed a small company together in 2016 and started developing this technology. And we've been steadily developing it since then. Later on, uh, I formed a partnership with a, a very well-known biotechnology firm called Genomatica to kind of take that academic research to the next stage. And now, five years later, we're about to go live. We've just done our commercial demonstration run at a commercial manufacturer. And this summer, we expect to have our first commercial batches. So that's kind of the story. Now, what are we about? Um, we're about enabling these compounds, cannabinoids, to reach every household. We want to enable every person on the planet to have the benefit and access to these compounds. The issue that we think is holding it back is essentially to reach the masses, you've got to go through the mass consumer product companies and, and through mass consumer products. And as we stand today, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, Unilever, Nestle, all these companies are not putting cannabinoids in their products. So if you're really going to bring this to the masses, if you're really going to bring it to every household, you've got to answer that question of why is it that big CPG has not embraced cannabinoids? And now basically two categories of reasons why. One is the legal complexity. So, uh, you know, there is a lot of legal complexity around the cannabis plant all over the world. It goes back to the UN Convention on Narcotics in the 1970s. The other, which is also very important, is the supply chain. So if you're going to use an ingredient in your products day in, day out, in mass market applications, you need certain things from your ingredient supply. You need consistency, purity, uh, uh, stability uh, of price. Uh, you need scale, security of supply. All these things that we take for granted from all kinds of other ingredients, from sugar to salt to whatever, doesn't exist today for the cannabis and cannabinoid plants. And so if you can solve those two problems, the legal complexity and the supply chain issues, you now unlock the ability to take these compounds to every household. And that's really what we're about. 
One phrase you mentioned there, last great domestication, I love that construct. We all know with animals and plants, we've domesticated those to the benefit of mankind. And, you know, why not with microbes, right? Right. And, you know, uh, what I'm talking about here is a process of fermentation. And in a way, we've been using fermentation to make a lot of the things we love, from cheese to bread to wine. Um, but, 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 but those are only really the tip of the iceberg. Um, I think fermentation and biosynthesis kind of hit the big time uh, uh, back uh, a few decades ago when Eli Lilly started producing human insulin. So if you're diabetic, unfortunately, you quite often have to inject yourself with insulin. Historically, that insulin used to be extracted, brace yourself, from uh, pancreases of pigs, right? Um, and not only is that kind of gross, but it wasn't identical to human insulin. So a lot of people had reactions to this compound. So the holy grail is, can we make human insulin? But hey, you know, you can't really extract it from dead humans. So what do we do? And, and, and what they did was they basically engineered with the knowledge of biology, a microbe, E. coli in this case, to do what it does in its normal life, eating sugar and doing stuff, but secreting human insulin. And then they could extract that and purify it and produce it uh, to bring it to, to the masses. So uh, uh, this ability now to harness microorganisms to produce complex organic compounds is, is, is exploding. You know, when you drink a lacroix uh, water, uh, uh, flavored water drink, and it says, you know, natural lemon flavor on it, this doesn't come from lemons. You'd have to grow so many lemons to extract all of this. It's biosynthesized. And I think increasingly, uh, a lot of the organic compounds that, that, that we consume and interact with will be produced in this way. And, and so let's look at why. What are the advantages? So, you know, if I'm, uh, 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 if I'm eating uh, a salad, then it makes sense to grow lettuce. Because I'm eating, I'm consuming uh, the whole plant. But if I'm, um, if I'm looking to consume cannabinoids, then in a sense, all the rest of the plant that I'm growing and throwing away is just wastage. You know, at best, you've got 20% CBD in hemp. So 80% of what the plant exists for, of what the plant uh, uh, puts its energy to, is just wasted. Whereas with the fermentation process, much more of the input goes into your final product. It is much more efficient and by the same process, environmentally beneficial process because you then end up using less water, less land, less fertilizers and all those kind of things. In a way, we've all heard about Beyond Meat. That's what they do. Their key ingredient is called heme. It's, it's essentially what uh, gives meat the meaty flavor, it's what's found in blood. Um, but they don't grow animals and extract it from their blood. They, they, that would be wasteful. They, they ferment it. Um, so that's one of the key benefits. The other key benefits, and this kind of ties in with the whole supply chain issues, etc. Uh, so environmentally, it's much more, it can be much more efficient. But, but also some of the issues that exist when you're growing something agriculturally, but then only extracting a small component out of it, 
is that there's always risk of contaminations because you're having to concentrate, you know, 100 kilograms of plant material, you have to concentrate to 20 kilograms of cannabinoid, you're also concentrating all the contaminants. And so biosynthesis, fermentation allows you to produce these compounds free of contamination because you know exactly what goes in, in a way that's very scalable, just to give you an idea, um, you know, a harvest of outdoor hemp, you get one harvest a year, maybe, maybe two if you're in the right kind of geography. With the fermentation process, it's a 48-hour process. So you can scale, you can make as much of this stuff as you need, and you don't have the risks of, uh, uh, you know, seasonality, bad crop, bad weather, um, which is another really important point because, look, let's face it, global warming is really global climate change. It really means much more extreme weather, more hots, more colds. We saw what happened in Texas recently, and, and that is not very good for agriculture. So, you know, the, 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 the risk of crop failure, um, the uh, uh, occurrence of price volatility that comes with this, oh, there was a bad season this year, all of these things are, are eliminated, basically, when you go down the biosynthetic route. Price stability, security supply, you can make it in big quantities. You know, if you're going to make a mass market product, you've got to plan for success. You say, okay, well, if this works and I need... 100 tons per annum of this product, can I be sure I'm going to get it? And that's where, again, the, the plant approach uh, can't give that kind of security. And then I think possibly just to finish off, um, most excitingly is, you know, we're only touching the tip of the iceberg here with, with CBD and THC. These are two cannabinoids, but there are over 100 of these known in nature. And the problem is we haven't been able to access all of these other ones because they're very rare. They're like 0.5% or less in the plant. Now, with the biosynthetic route where you're really controlling the biology of these microbes, you can target any one of these rare cannabinoids. And so not only are we unleashing the potential of cannabinoids to reach every household, we're bringing uh, into play a whole palette of these compounds, whereas, you know, today we've been looking at the world in black and white through THC and CBD. Um, so that's kind of all of those benefits. And then finally, legal simplicity. So the way the law works is there are two things that are scheduled. THC, no matter how you make it, chemically synthesized or whatever, it's controlled because it's a psychoactive compound. Fair enough. But the kind of weird thing that's also come along with it, that it kind of lump the whole plant with it. So the entire plant is a control substance. And so because you're not making these cannabinoids and because they're not THC, because you're not making them from the plant, they're now not controlled substances. So you remove all that legal complexity that exists at the moment around the supply chain of cannabinoids. Well, that's nice. <laughs> the, the legal piece of it, I didn't anticipate that, that you would be in the clear with synthetic THC, but I guess it makes sense. Given all you just said, there's so much logic to it, and but we still know that there's opposition, right? There, and usually the course of things like this, there's denial and violent opposition, and then realization that it was inevitable. You know, there's non-GMO types, there's that sort of opposition to this. What do you say to people who are stuck on that? Yeah, so, so a few things. First point I would like to make is, you know, we should not use the word synthetic on this because 
one of the kind of hallmark characteristics of biosynthesis, which is why Eli Lilly used it to make human insulin, is because it's bioidentical. You are using the same chemical steps, the same enzymes that happen to, to do this in the plant. You're just doing them in a microbe. And so the compound you get is identical, indistinguishable from what you get from nature, which is not the case when you're using normal chemical synthesis. That's why the word synthetic has, has come to mean something bad, because it's, it's never bioidentical. It's not necessarily the same product. And in a sense, the kind of highest profile uh, uh, um, um, case of this was thalidomide. Thalidomide was a compound that had lots of beneficial uh, uh, effects, but it occurred in, in, a mirror, in two mirror images of the same compound. One of them had the good effects, one of them had terrible effects. Nature usually only makes one. And so when you're making something naturally, you can target the mirror image molecule that you want. When you make it synthetically, you usually make a mixture of both. And that was a problem with the thalidomide. That's a problem with synthetics in general. They're not bioidentical. They're not the right in mirror image necessarily of what nature makes. So biosynthesis is not that. But let's step back. So, so resistance. Look, um, when we first started on this journey, uh, we felt that um, our main sort of uh, 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 selling point would be that we're providing access to these rarer cannabinoids that are simply not available commercially at scale at a good price uh, uh, from natural sources. And that, you know, the fact that we make it using fermentation would be a drawback that you know, people put up with to get access to these rare cannabinoids. That hasn't turned out to be the case. We are finding that customers are embracing the biosynthetic route. They see it as an advantage for all the reasons that we spoke about, the legal complexity, uh, 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 simplicity of it all, the fact that you can get a reliable quality product consistently at a predictable price. Um, so, so we're not we're not seeing that from our customer base. That admittedly is not the end consumer. Now, you know, I, I think the whole end consumer relationship with GMOs, if indeed that's what you want to classify this as, and technically it's not classified as a GMO uh, because uh, the your final product is not the organism. Your final product contains no DNA in it. So it's one thing when you've got genetically modified corn and you're consuming that genetically modified material. But uh, fermentation is a different process. You may have a genetically modified microbe. You may not. Um, a lot of them uh, use natural occurring ones. Um, but the end product is free of the microbe. And so it's not technically uh, considered a GMO. Um, but putting that technicality aside, what we are seeing is that there's a real generational um, divide here, that increasingly the younger people are very accepting of uh, biological technologies, yeah? Um, uh, 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 biological technologies. So um, GMO actually uh, is increasingly being seen as a good thing, a good thing because of the environmental benefits that it can bring us, because of uh, 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 the uh, uh, potential that um, it has for, you know, 
uh, helping us in the future with the challenges that we're facing. So, you know, I have this um, uh, uh, favorite sticker that I got at a conference a few years back, and uh, it, it's 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 like I love GMO, and you know, I keep it here on my on my desk just as a reminder that actually, you know, I think I think whole public opinion inevitably is going to change about around this. What we're talking about are brand new products at more affordable prices. Part of what the opportunity for you guys has been prohibition. For 100 years almost, there wasn't much scientific research into this. And now there is. Now we know we have an endocannabinoid system. We have all these cultivars and all these different cannabinoids. You might be able to actually make new combinations that don't even exist yet. Is that far-fetched? Well, um, yes and no. So um, biosynthesis, fermentation allows you to uh, uh, produce rare cannabinoids. It can always allow you to produce CBD and the benefits of doing that that we spoke earlier, but it allows you to produce cannabinoids and uh, uh, the rare ones that because they're so rare in the plant, they haven't really been exploited. Products haven't been made using them. Um, and so by bringing these rare cannabinoids to market, people can now create products that contain them or contain them in much more concentrated uh, uh, amounts than you can naturally find in plant extracts. The other thing that you can do, and this is also potentially very interesting, is, is create modifications of them. You know, maybe uh, a, a, an OH group here or a double bond here. Um, and now you've created uh, cannabinoids that don't naturally occur in nature, but that may have much more enhanced health benefits than the natural ones because they might bind to the receptor slightly differently. Now, this is the business of pharmaceutical companies. They can't patent naturally occurring compounds, and so there's no incentive for them to invest the millions and hundreds of millions required to take a compound and turn it into a drug but if you now have a unique uh, molecule that can be patented because it's not naturally occurring, now you've got the incentive to really bring it all the way through to, to being a drug. So in a way, by allowing these slight modifications, you're bringing on board the whole pharma industry to then take cannabinoids and bring them uh, the benefit of them to, 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 to consumers in the form of FDA registered drugs. So you mentioned patents there. So say, for instance, you develop CBN, a bioidentical CBN that can help people sleep, and then you patent that. People no, can still buy We can't patent it. If it's a naturally occurring compound, you can't patent that. Okay. You can't patent naturally occurring compounds. Right. But if you made an, a slight adjustment to it, you could say this is this is something different and we own it. Um, yes, I, I, and it's not some, it's, and that's not what we would do. That's what a pharma company would do, because um, that's really the beginning of of their business journey, is a some patent protection. Now we would use biosynthesis to figure out how to produce that compound cost effectively. You distinguish yourself from a pharmaceutical company. Is this the evolution of medicine? You're not a pharmaceutical company, and you're a research branch that has a partnership with a with a manufacturing branch. Good point. Um, step back from this. Our mission is to help bring the benefits of cannabinoids to every household. To do that, 
we have to unleash the consumer packaged goods market to bring us, you know, toothpaste and mouthwash and all the various things that cannabinoids could be great at. But also, you want to help unleash the pharmaceutical uh, uh, channel as well that will bring us, you know, uh, um, um, properly tested uh, and vetted pain medicines, you know, uh, uh, cures for psoriasis, all the various things that cannabinoids could potentially do. In order to do that, we need to solve the supply chain challenges for CPG. And we need to solve the, how can I make cost effectively a brand new variant of a cannabinoid? And that's what the pharma industry need to do. But when our experts at figuring out which this variant is required, we're not a pharma company. We're just a, te we're just a technology company that has this manufacturing technology that unleashes both. And so the model with the consumer packaged good companies is we will supply them with ingredients. We'll be an ingredient supplier and we work with a manufacturing partner to actually manufacture these cannabinoids. And with a pharma company, we would work with them to adapt the biosynthetic process to make the particular unique cannabinoid that they are interested in. As narrow as that niche sounds, it's still enormous, I would think. Which one, the pharma or the CPG? <laughs> well, bringing um, kind of designer cannabinoids to uh, the public, uh, that is world-changing, right? I mean, uh, right. That, that's a whole new class of organic medicines that can really benefit people's lives. I, 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 and you know what? I mean, this is, this is the history of Western medicine. You start off with a naturally occurring compound, that has beneficial effect, like an extract from the willow bark, which is called aspirin. You then figure that you can't grow enough willow trees and cut them down to extract all the stuff. So you find uh, a better way to get that compound. And then stage three is you realize, well, you know, if I make this slight change to it, this slight change to it, it's actually much better. Either it has better effects or it has fewer side effects, etc. That's where kind of the history of modern medicine and, and cannabinoids are, have not been able to go down that path yet. Um, and that's what we're hopefully going to be enabling. You're probably coming to market this summer. You said, how big do you think this is? And do you have a vision for five, 10 years down the road? Yeah. I mean, look, it's always difficult and dangerous to be a, a profit, <laughs> especially with something that is emerging. Um, uh, you know, if you get it right, everyone says it was obvious. If you get it wrong, then then you know you're no good. Um, so it's a lose lose thing. This being but this profit prophecy business. But I would refer to the uh, very good initiation report that was produced on the market by Raymond James back uh, in in the fall of last year. And they forecasted that, you know, the world market for biosynthesized cannabinoids, which spans both CPG and pharma, would reach about um, 110 billion by 2040. So potentially a very significant market. Mm -hmm. Right now, are you guys focused on any particular cannabinoid kind of out of the gate? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, we started looking, started working with the mother cannabinoids, CBG, CBGA. This is the cannabinoid that is made first in the plant, 
from which all the other cannabinoids are derived. Now, usually in the plant, none of it is left, very little of it is left over because most of it is then, you know, converted to CBD or THC. Um, but the mother cannabinoid, CBG, and actually, technically speaking, it's produced in its acid form, CBGA, is, 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 is kind of the, we believe, the next really untapped molecule. We, we like to call it the skin cannabinoid because it has so many interesting benefits, particularly for the skin. So a lot of cannabinoids actually dry the skin, which is not a bad thing if you're trying to cure, uh, to treat acne. But for most people, uh, in terms of uh, beauty, um, uh, 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 dry skin conditions, you know, anti-wrinkles, all that kind of stuff, you want to do the opposite. <laughs> you want to moisturize the skin. CBG stands out from all the other cannabinoids. It's the only known cannabinoid that actually stimulates the body's natural production of our, our, our moisturizer. Our natural moisturizer is called sebum. That's what we produce naturally to moisturize the skin. CBG actually stimulates, according to some primary research that's out there, the production of this compound. So it does some very interesting things. It's also got benefits in terms of anti-inflammation. So for a lot of kind of skin uh, 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 situations, CBG is, is really quite unique. And it's got a number of other uh, uh, quite interesting benefits too. But, you know, if we're going to kind of uh, uh, get you a soundbite, I would say think of CBG as the skin cannabinoid. Now, the other thing I would say is plant extraction usually means that it's quite difficult to um, obtain the native acid form. So when you have the plant material, all the cannabinoids are actually in acid form. THC is not THC, it's THCA, CBG, CBGA, etc. When you go through the extraction process, um, quite often you degrade those acid forms into the non-acid form. And so again, it's quite hard to obtain the acid forms uh, from plant extraction. With biosynthesis, we don't have that problem. So actually, we're going to be offering both CBGA and CBG, and the two have slightly different effects. The acid forms don't behave necessarily like the non-acid forms. And in fact, some people with pharmaceutical backgrounds believe that the acid forms are actually much more active from a pharmacological point of view, from a health benefit point of view, than the non-acid forms. And so our first compounds will be CBGA and CBG. And then we're going to be working uh, our way from, from that point onwards. All these compounds have different properties, and the doctors I pay to uh, pay attention to in the space are just, just so excited about the galloping research that's happening. There's so many things that are coming to the fore about the different cannabinoids, but the acid precursor aspect of this means you could also offer a THC that's not been decarbolized, so there wouldn't be the, the cycloactivity. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. So THCA, the acid form, that's why, you know, if you're producing hash brownies, you've got to heat the plant material to turn it into THC for it to be active. But the, 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 not, the, the acid form is, is not so psychoactive and, and is believed to have some positive effects as well. So, yes, biosynthesis would allow you to produce, uh, uh, you know, the acid form of THC as well. So if people were excited about uh, medicinal cannabis but didn't want to incur the, the psychoactivity or didn't want their children to or whatever, in theory, you could deliver a product that delivers all the medicinal benefits without that psychoactivity. 
Yes, and actually, you know, stepping back from this, THC is pretty much the only cannabinoid that has significant psychoactivity. You know, THCV can be psychoactive, but you've got to take it in vast quantities, same as CBN. So, so really, most of the uh, THC is the exception. <laughs> uh, most of the cannabinoids uh, uh, out there do not have psychoactivity and can bring health benefits w- without that psychoactivity. You guys are focused on the cannabis plant, but the implications of this probably go beyond cannabis. Are there other other plants that could be synthesized this way? Yes. Yeah, so you know, we are only part of a much bigger revolution that's taking place. Uh, that's part of a bigger movement, which is the sort of century of biology. So there are many other companies working on on these kind of things, working on different plants. There's a great company out of Japan that have figured out how to biosynthesize um, silk protein. So uh, silk is naturally produced by silkworms. It's a very laborious and 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 you know and environmentally not very efficient process, they've figured how to biosynthesize silk protein. So now they can bring silk protein to all kinds of applications from, you know, making hard materials that can be used to produce skateboards to to uh, clothing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so lots and lots of companies out there working on this, uh, bringing uh, uh, forwards the benefits of natural natural compounds, but unleashing them from the natural way that, that from from the way in which they are naturally produced and i guess that's a good way of thinking about it we're unlocking the potential of natural compounds by moving them from a a, a difficult and environmentally inefficient production platform into one that is much more environmentally efficient and scalable. And this is totally different to what's happened in the last 200 years, which is all about creating synthetic chemicals, compounds and chemicals that don't naturally occur in nature. And guess what? 200 years later, we're discovering these things are not so good for our body. Well, here we have the opportunity, and indeed this is what's going to be happening, is actually shifting everything to naturally occurring compounds, but with the benefits that we can actually, you know, use them at scale in society. Like margarine was never butter, but it was sold as something as good as, and, and it wasn't. Right. It was a chemically synthesized version of, 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 of butter. From a consumer perspective, when you are able to, at scale, provide that massive shortcut to the end product, what does that mean for the consumer in terms of what they're paying and, and what they can expect in the product? Yeah, so um, I, I think what it means is you can trust your co- product better. You can be um, confident that it's safe, free of contamination, that it contains what it says it contains. And that's one of the big problems with the plant extraction is that the variability. Sometimes I've got this level of CBD, sometimes I've got this level of CBD. So again, getting what 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 it says on the packet is really important. So creating that trust uh, 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 there. Um, the other element is, you know, getting access to all these rare cannabinoids at prices that are, um, you know, uh, accessible to people. So, you know, back to my analogy of black and white versus color, you know, think of it as, you know, we're, we're, we're moving from black and white TV to color TV now. People are going to be able to have 
formulations that are much more targeted and much more effective by balancing the ratios of all these rare cannabinoids together and to CBD, etc. You're going to be able to pr produce products that are much more effective and much more targeted and maybe even, you know, personalized medicine targeted to particular individuals. Will it be an order of magnitude cheaper or wh where does it fall on the cost scale? Well, you know, I, I don't want to fixate on costs too much. Um, but, you know, what biosynthesis allows you to do is to produce these rare cannabinoids, you know, just as cheaply as you can produce CBD today. And again, the consumer, like you said, doesn't have to worry about pesticide residue, heavy metals, any of that stuff, because it's been precisely produced at this percentage and they in can a have cold environment. Yes. Yeah, so it's not only the contaminants, it's also the potency. When it says, oh, you know, this product contains 100 milligrams of CBD, it really does contain 100 milligrams of CBD because you know how much you put into it. Yeah. So I think that that is, you know, one of the key benefits. But, you know, if we look at, and now that you mention it, I think this is also a very good point because you're then now moving outside of the whole kind of controlled substances, marijuana complexity that exists, you can sidestep a lot of the taxes that are imposed on cannabis products. And frankly, when we talk about price, when you go and buy something in a dispensary, most of what you're paying or a lot of what you're paying is tax <laughs> uh, in one way or another. Tax because there's the actual tax on it, tax because the producers can't reclaim their expenses and so their cost of production is much higher because of a tax anomaly. So both ways the consumer pays for it. Um, sure. And if you can now remove all of that, the, the price to the consumer should fall quite quite substantially. Yeah, it's 35 to 50%, I mean, in California yeah. now, so that's a relief. Do you, uh, I know you don't have a crystal ball and you don't like to prophesy anything, <laughs> but do, when when should consumers begin to look for these products on, on the shelves? So CBG is already making its way onto the shelves. Um, and I hope with our production uh, coming on mid-year, mid you know, probably a 2022 start, people should really start seeing these on the shelves. You know, remember, we're not an end consumer company, so we're not going to be producing finished products. Our customers will be buying the ingredients for us and creating products. And so, you know, there's a cycle there of product development, et cetera. But, you know, I think that uh, come 2022, uh, uh, Consumers should start be being start being able to see this, and actually start being able to you know actively have a choice to buy biosynthetic um, compounds as opposed to hemp or marijuana derived. Should we look for Creo inside, like Intel inside? Um... Yeah, that's a branding question. Potentially, <laughs> we haven't decided that yet. Um, it would be nice. Um, I think it's more of a question for our. Mark, uh, head of marketing, Shuchi, um, but maybe. Are these going to be in drugstores or dispensaries, or that depends on the state, I guess? Um, so actually, I mean, if you're really going to unlock the potential here, um, they should be in, 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 in you know, any kind of shop. They would not be limited to dispensaries. Um, I think the first applications will be, um, you know, in skin, as I mentioned earlier, for CBG. So, you know, creams, balms, things of that nature. Um, and, you know, wherever you buy those kind of products. So Sephora, um, those kind of shops should 
have products with CBG in them. Maybe cosmetics um, might be an early place to, to begin Absolutely. to look for these. Yeah, yeah, I think cosmetics, uh, uh, beauty, those kind of things, um, creams, uh, and maybe applications to help with sort of eczema, psoriasis, skin inflammation type of situations. Mm-hmm. So I have a standard question I ask my interview subjects. Do you have a favorite cannabis product or service? Yeah, um, I've been thinking about this. I think for me, what I'm very excited about are kind of two dimensions. One is delivery formats. Um, you know, not everyone wants to smoke. Um, so I think there's, uh, there's lots of interesting technology taking place in improving delivery formats. Uh, I particularly like nasal spray. Nasal sprays because you, you're getting the very fast input into the body, like you do with um, smoking, but without all, all of those, um, without the complexity and, and, and health risks around combusting materials and inhaling them. Um, so that's one. And the other is, I really like you know the kind of granularity that's beginning to emerge in terms of you know, ratios of particular cannabinoids within products. So, you know, this is a one-to-one to two uh, CBG, CBC, CBD product, those kind, that kind of direction that we're going to, which is, uh, I think, kind of the path to the future of creating much more effective and targeted uh, products for people. Yeah, really discreet, targeted products. Do you know of uh, nasal inhaler products that have cannabinoids that are out there yet? Um, I think there are, but I can't name any for you right now. I'm sorry. Um, It's not really uh, uh, um, my domain there. Um, But yeah, I think think that's that's kind of... uh, I'm sure I saw advertised one just the other day. or actually, it was it was it was a, it was it was designed like an asthma inhaler. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. I yeah. think it was an Israeli company. Uh, so th- th- those kind of products, I think, are very very interesting. Um, and uh, uh, but you know, as I say, I think I think the big revolution is when when CPG are able to uh, take this and and really push it down their channels to market, so that you know. You see it in supermarkets and drugstores and, uh, 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 you know, 7-Elevens and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, and again, you, you're sort of providing the raw material. So these chemists in these consumer product goods companies are going to make all kinds of things. Maybe there's eye drops. Maybe there's... Um, yes. Yes, eye drops is an interesting one. That's actually another one. You know, some interesting research that CBG actually helps with glaucoma. Mm-hmm. Um, by Glaucoma is a condition where you have buildup of pressure in the eyeball, not very pleasant. It actually helps relieve that pressure, apparently. Right. I think people are smoking cannabis to help alleviate that. But if you could apply it directly with an eye drop, that'd be great. Well, it, within cannabis, it seems that it's the CPG, CBG cannabinoid that's doing that. Okay. Roy, is there anything we haven't covered that we should? You know what? Um, <laughs> we've gone all over the place here. <laughs> so I can't think of anything right now, but thank you for asking. I think it's been you know, a real pleasure. Uh, thanks for your patience as I've kind of pulled us in all kinds of different directions. But, you know, I, I guess I would just make this point that, you know, we're not here to replace the cannabis plant. There always is and always will be a market and benefits for, you know, the natural 
original form of cannabinoids. That's not going to go away. But we also are practical about this, which is if there is something that is so beneficial and has so much potential and you want to get it to the largest number of people, we believe you, you have to you have to move beyond the plant. And so what we are focused on really is helping enable that growth phase into CPG and pharma. It's not going to replace what's happening right now, but you know, from a point of view of the most amount of benefit to the most amount of people, um, you know, we think that that's appro that approach is, is, is required to supplement what's happening right now. Sure. And consumers will always have the choice. If they prefer a flower and everything that comes with that, they have that choice. And maybe that becomes more of a boutique item while there's a aisle full of cannabinoid products in the drugstore. Yeah. I mean, I think... I would I would I would put the analogy slightly differently. I think it becomes more of a uh, of a connoisseur's market. You know the kind of richness of flavors and and effects that you can get from the plant. You're not going to get from singly produced compounds. And so, like a good bottle of wine, you want that. But that's not the only thing we will want from cannabinoids. We also want them in toothpaste and mouthwash and you know what we don't actually want to be brushing our teeth every day with something that has the richness and complexity of flavors of a cannabis plant um so it, it's 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 for what we're using it for that will be you know uh, uh, uh will gravitate to whatever's the right solution for it yeah more functional and that makes sense more targeted and functional very good Thank you, Roy. It's been really interesting, and I think we'd love to check back with you in a year or so and see where you're at. The potential here is enormous, and we all know of people who want the medicinal benefits but don't always want to have the experience of the plant, and here's a way to, to sidestep that. Right, and I'll just say, you know, come visit us online, creoingredients.com, or you can find out more about CBG and its benefits and, and, and what we're doing. Are you guys on Twitter or anywhere like that? Or um, yeah, yeah, I think we're we're everywhere: Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, um, Creo Ingredients, or just Creo should find us. Great, we'll get some of that into the show notes. Thank you for sharing your experience and expertise. I know the listeners are going to love this episode. Thank you. You've been listening to the Cannaboom Podcast with host Tom Stacy. If you like the show and want to know more, please check us out at Cannaboom with a K dot com. And please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. See you next week.